0: Sharing And at uh, the end of our service to, to today there will be a, um, a slideshow where you can hear kind of snippets of, of some of the other folks who um, shared their testimonies as well. So uh, please do stick around for, for that. Uh, will you pray with me as we uh, begin our time the word? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our lives, the work that you're doing in our world, through our lives, through your church, which is a demonstration of the glory and the power of God. Thank you for folks like Poram and, and others who shared last night, people like Alex, uh, people like Monica, people like Hong, and people like Jane who are doing, uh, living out the call that you've placed within them and so many others who didn't get to share but whose lives testify. And we pray that within our congregation that more and more people would rise up to tell your story in them and that a watching world would see the reality of God because you live in us. Be with us now as we listen to your word, that as Jesus became flesh, that the word would become flesh in us, and that you would be with me, my gracious master, and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of your name. Would you meet with us for your glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving, uh, I, I mentioned this to some people, but Thanksgiving week is like one big week of celebrating. It's almost like it's hard to get any work done, you know what I'm saying? Because you've got Thursday, everyone's looking forward to Thursday, and then you've got some people, I know a bunch of college students got together and had their uh, Wednesday Thanksgiving party, their giving party. And, and then Friday, like everyone is so stuffed from Turkey that either you're sleeping or you're working that off on Black Friday shopping and it's all this crazy stuff. And, and now that all the craziness of Thanksgiving is done, we can turn our attention to the beautiful Christmas carols that we hear on the radio. And there's nothing standing between us and that glorious celebration of the incarnation of God who came into our world, right? Uh, not quite. We all know how difficult it is moving in this transition from Black Friday to whatever Saturday to whatever Sunday to Cyber Monday all the way up until Christmas. There's so much that happens in that short period of time that a lot of times it's difficult for us to really prepare well to come and adore this Christ who's come, born the King of Angels. I know I was talking with... uh, one, one lady over breakfast yesterday, and she was saying, I feel stressed already because I have to buy all these Christmas presents, and I have to write all these Christmas cards, and there's all these things that need to get done, and here we are still four weeks out from Christmas and already feeling the stress, and maybe you feel like that also. There's nieces and nephews and children to buy presents for. There's cousins and uncles and grandparents to make phone calls to. There's all these Christmas cards that you need to write and, oh, my gosh, I can't leave anybody out or else they're going to get upset at me. Or there's this person who gave me a gift. I don't really like them, but I need to give them something back. And all these things that go through our mind, all these sales that we need to take care of and all these Christmas parties and holiday parties. And, and if you're a student, you've got final exams and your teachers are trying to cram all this work into like two weeks and, and we just feel stressed out. Like, how in the world can we prepare? Whether it's in, and, then the, and then there's also, like, our culture tells us that you can't celebrate Christmas anymore. You can say happy holidays or season's greetings, but you can't really say Merry Christmas anymore. Isn't that sad, even on Christmas Day, that our culture says you should not do that for the sake of political correctness? Whether it's intentional or not, when you have Christmas without Christ, you're left with a mess. Christmas without Christ is always a mess. Whether it's a mess or however you say it, it's a mess or it's a miss, whatever it is, without Christ, Christmas just isn't isn't right, and our lives aren't either. I think it's for that reason I'm so thankful that in the Christian calendar, there are these four weeks leading up to Christmas called the Advent season. Advent four weeks beginning today, the fourth Sunday before Christmas that leads us up to Christmas so that at least within the church we have four weeks to think about and to ponder and to wonder and to think about the beauty of Christmas so that when Christmas Day comes, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking for the first time, but bam, it's this explosion of worship that I've really come in anticipation to honor Christ the King at least for me, as I've begun incorporating the rhythm of Advent into my life, it has loosened, severely loosened the grip of materialism on my heart. And it makes me so much more wanting to give than it is me wanting to receive gifts. And maybe it coincides with the fact that people don't give gifts anymore to me. That's cool. They give it to Olive, they give it to Manny, and I'm okay with that. And I'm even cooler if you guys would give it to people who need it a whole lot more than they do. Because the season of Advent prepares us for the coming of Christ in such a way that we realize that this is a day of worship. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of giving thanks for all that God has done, and it's not really about us at all. What I want to do is I want to frame this year's Advent series around this theme of the ultimate missionary to show that Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary who came into our world. I'm going to start by talking about today why he is that Uh, next week, and we're going to kind of... Uh, center this around uh, John 1, 14 we We're going to read in a second. But next week, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary because he was full of grace. The third week, he was full of truth. The fourth week, we're going to have our workers from, from the Middle East come, and they're going to share the word of God. And that's also the day we'll commission our Ecuador team, uh, missions team, to go off. And then the fifth Sunday will be Christmas Sunday. Um, and I would encourage you, as you think about this series, to prayerfully think, who, who could I invite out to that Christmas service so that they can see Christ and, and to worship him? How can we open our hearts and open our doors and open our arms to embrace those who might need to hear, who do need to hear the message of Christmas this year? So we're going to start by looking at John one fourteen. 14, why Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary. If you have your Bible, we're just going to read one verse. And I've been really stewing on this verse and, and thinking about this verse and, and meditating on it and, and soaking my heart in it. And I've, I, I think this may be one of the handful of greatest verses in Scripture, one of the greatest sentences, two sentences that the world would ever, ever, ever hear. This is God's Word. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is God's word. This is awesome. We could, we could spend years unpacking this. We really, really, really could. Um, but for the sake of today, uh, I just want to kind of take this apart a little bit and show as what I'm shared, we do things in threes. And as uh, preacher Jane Kim shared last night, uh, we do things in threes here. So uh, three thoughts as to why Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary. The first thing is this, God... Actually, let me, I think I need to look at this outline. What did I write here? Okay. Um, God made the ultimate move by becoming human. Okay. God made the ultimate move by becoming human. If you look at uh, verse 1, John takes, starts all the way from the beginning. So John, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I know people, when, when you uh, just become a Christian, people say you need to read the Gospel of John and i've told a lot of people to do that also but as soon as they get in the gospel of john it's like in the beginning was a word and the word was with god and the word was god and people are like i don't understand it already what in the world does this mean that the word what is this stuff about the capital w word what in the world is that all about so let me try and explain what john is trying to explain here he's writing to a people the jewish people the hebrew people who had an understanding of what the word was they're living in a Greek context, and so he's writing to predominantly Greek context who also had their understanding of what the word is. Here's what, here's what they thought. The Hebrews thought the word was the way, the way that God who is in heaven could communicate his thoughts, his desires, his will with people on earth. How in the world does someone up there communicate with people down here? And it's incomprehensible for that. To, how, how does that happen? And they said, well, it happens through the word. Through the word what 's in god 's mind is communicated to, to the rest of the world, so God says something, he speaks a word, and all the world is created. Right? so the Word is his actions in, in, his, the word is, has, has power uh, to act right? God acts through his words so that 's one thing it 's the revelation of the mind of God, but it 's not only through his actions but it 's through the word. you remember the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites they had this this sense of pride that they were the people of God. We're the chosen people. And what set them apart was that they had a relationship with God whereby which they could hear the word of God. It would come through prophets who would stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord comes. And they can know the mind of God through the prophets. And they're the only nation in that time who could hear the word of God. And so they thought, wow, this is amazing. We're we're set apart. They were also a people of the book. They had the word of God in written, well, not in written form like we do, but they had it in scrolls, the scriptures, Hebrew scriptures that were given to them in such a way that they could understand that the word is how the minds and the thought of God is communicated to people. So they're like, okay, this is what the word is to them. They've got this understanding that the word is God's communication to humanity. That was the Hebrew understanding of the word. Now, the Greek understanding of the word was a little bit different because they didn't believe in this personal God up there. They believed in what's called the Logos. Logos is the word for word. So they had this idea that the Logos is the rational, philosophical, but non-personal being that holds everything together. You remember Heraclitus? We talked about him last night, how he said, you never step into the same river twice because everything is always changing in our world. There's chaos, there's disorder everywhere. And yet somehow in our world, in the midst of all that stuff, there is an order to it as well. Where does that order amidst all the chaos come from? They said it's easy. It comes from the Logos. That was their way of explaining it. There is this philosophical reason, this idea called the word that held everything together. Plato, who was writing, whose writings were very popular in the days that John was writing, he said, I wish, he wrote, I wish that one day God would send the Logos to make all of this clear to us. And so you take this Greek idea, you take this Hebrew idea, this idea that both of these cultures have this understanding of their word, and John writes, and he says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That which you think is non-personal has come. Plato, all your hopes and dreams have come true in the person of Jesus Christ. The word has come. And to the Hebrew people, the word that God communicates and all his thoughts and minds are wrapped up in it 's become flesh it's it 's here in the person of Jesus Christ and we 've seen him and we 've beheld his glory and this is the one you 've been longing for, both the Hebrews and the Greeks. this is it, and in God becoming human he 's making the ultimate move here we You hear Boram's testimony, how she came from the day she came to America, she started coming to church. Anyone knows, everyone knows that moving is difficult. If you've ever moved in the past lifetime, you know that moving is difficult because you've got to adjust a whole new uh, environment, whole new maybe weather patterns. You've got to move to a new house, new friends, new relationships, new food maybe, new lingo. All of these things are so new. Everyone knows that moving is difficult. In fact, one of the top five most stressful things in life is moving. They say that missionaries, the five times where missionaries need the support of churches like ours and organizations, one of the five times they need people the most is when they're preparing to move, because we all know that moving is not easy, it's difficult. I think about well, in America, all of us are immigrants at one point or another. But I think about our context, immigrants, our parents moving from wherever it is that came. Maybe they came from Mexico. Maybe they came from Korea. Maybe they came from Taiwan or, or China. They, all, they moved to America. For them to do that was not an easy thing. It wasn't an easy thing. Some of our parents are doing things in America that would be unthinkable had they continued with their, per, with their degree in Korea. Right? Our parents tell us this all the time, don't they? Oh, all because of you. You know, we hear the stories. I walked uphill going to school five miles, and on the way back, it was still uphill somehow, and it was five more miles. And, oh, I suffered so much, and I didn't even have shoes. I had cardboard, and I taped it around. I didn't use tape. I used rice because that's all we had. And you hear stories like that. And oh, I worked so hard and I made it to the top. I went to Seoul National University or I went to whatever school that that your parents went to. And they always have to say, whatever school it is, they say, that's like Harvard here in America, right? Or UVA in America. They say, this is like the best school in Korea. We went to these, these places and then they come here. And they do things working 16, 18 hours to put food on our table, to give us clothes to give us an education. It was their way of saying to generations yet unborn, this is my way of saying, I love you. To come and be a stranger in a strange world, to learn a completely different language, to get made fun of because they look different, because they can't speak the same language, because they have an accent. And when they try and say things with all of the... like I used to make fun of my my aunt in Korea because she... This is bad, and this is like kind of off script and not really helping the point, but I used to make fun of my aunt in Korea because she learned proper english like we speak kind of like colloquially and kind of like i don't know even if we're educated we still kind of speak a little bit hood right so she speak learned this proper english and she told to me well, she said to me when i went to korea she's like i speak english very well which is pretty good i said oh that, that's great what okay, let's let's talk and she said okay i said this before but it's still funny to me she said okay i will be frank with you <laughs> I was like You'll be what with me? <laughs> I said, I will be frank with you. I commend your English. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Who talks like that? Who taught you English? Even when they try and, and speak English well, they get made fun of. That's what happens when they move to this place, to a foreign land. It's so different for them. Moving is not easy. I think our parents may understand a little bit better than we do. The notion of God leaving his palatial dwelling and coming down to the dusty streets of Palestine. Can you imagine God, God, uncontainable, infinite God, the infinite being squeezed into that which is finite? You ever had a, maybe this happened like last week, you you wear size, you know, I don't know, size six dress or whatever it is and then thanksgiving comes and you're like oh my gosh I've, I've gotten so much bigger and you try and put on your size six dress for homecoming and you can't fit in and you're you're like oh suck it in suck it in, you can't put it on you wear size 36 jeans or whatever and and you ate at thanksgiving you're getting ready to come to church this morning you're trying to squeeze all that stuff in and you, you, you can't do it can you imagine trying to squeeze in the infinite eternal into that which is bound by time and space in fact not just into a human but all that the I think it was Philip Yancey said, the God who roared, who could command armies and empires like pawns on a chessboard, he was squeezed into a flesh and blood, a baby who cried and needed to sleep and couldn't control his bladder. Everything that he needed for life was dependent on On a teenage virgin girl. and, And the moment of human history where God entered into time and space and would forever divide history into two sections was witnessed more by animals than it was by human beings. That is the wonder of the incarnation. That God, the Word, became flesh and he dwelt among us. The invisible, immortal, God-only wise came down into a little baby. No different than babies that we see born every day in hospitals across the world. That is our God. What in the world kind of a, a move is that? That he went from Streets of gold to animal poop stained straw as his bed, as his first home, as his hospital where he was delivered. What kind of a move is that? That God Almighty would come in, in, in that form. J.B. Phillips, he's a Bible translator, British Bible translator, commentator. He tells a story, he writes his children's story about how this one senior angel was showing this kind of like rookie angel, all of the the galaxies of the universes. And he was, they were flying around and he's, showing him all the, the glories of the universes created and shows all of these suns that were made. And, and all of these are flying around. Oh my goodness, it's so amazing. And, and the senior angel points down and they enter into our galaxy, this tiny little, tiny little galaxy of all the ones that they are flying around, this tiny galaxy called the Milky Way. And he says, and, and they zoom in on it and they're like, look at this little ball here. And the rookie little young junior angel is getting a little bit tired of all this flying around. And so he's just kind of like, this is boring. And he's like, look at that. But focus on that ball. And he's like, that ball is dusty. It's dirty. It looks like a, like a frayed up tennis ball. And he's like, that planet, you need to keep your eye on it because that is the visited planet. Like, what do you mean the visited planet? Like, that's the planet that the prince visited. And all of a sudden, the angel's like, oh, which prince? You mean the, the prince? But yeah, the prince, the prince of glory, the maker of all of these things—that's the one that he visited. Let me let me read let me read the rest of what he writes as they're getting into this conversation. Does that one so small and dirty? What's so special about it? And he listened in disbelief and disgust as he stared at the small, not very clean planet. You mean to tell me? He said that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball. I do, said the senior, and I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Does that boggle your mind that out of all of the galaxies of the universe, that all of the actually all of the all of the things that God would come to our little planet and that He would He would become like us? That is a wonder, an amazing wonder. But that's the first reason why Jesus is the ultimate missionary. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see here that God became man so that we could encounter Him personally, so that we could encounter him personally. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling is an old Hebrew word, is an old Jewish word that the Hebrew readers would understand. It literally meant tabernacle. Right? The word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. If you remember back in the days of the wilderness wanderings, when the people of God were wandering through on the way to the promised land, they would pitch these tents and they would hang out in these tents while they're waiting so that they could keep on moving the next day. God had a tent also. The tent was called the tabernacle. And there, God would meet with the leaders of Israel. And as they gathered in, as God gathered in that place, the people are warned, don't get near this thing. Because if you get near the glory, then you're going to get zapped. And people would look at the tabernacle and they would see the glory of God in the midst of that place. Before the temple, it was a tabernacle, this moving tent where God dwelled. That's the idea that John has in mind. And that's the idea that the Hebrew readers are listening for and hearing when they say the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He's saying, this is what he's saying. The same glory that resided in the tabernacle during your wilderness wanderings, that glory has come to us that glory, that same Shekinah glory that would blow the minds of Israelites away, that same glory is there in the, in the face of Christ in that little baby that was born in Palestine. That's the glory of God dwelling amongst his people. And the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. And he goes, look, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only. We saw him. My eyes glimpsed for three and a half years the beauty and the glory of this word. I touched him. I talked to him. I asked him questions. He answered. He asked me questions. I talked to him. I felt him. I hugged him. All of these things. We beheld his glory. He really came. That's who he is. We've seen him and we've touched him. God came near to us, he became human so that we could encounter him personally, so that we could know him personally, so that he could touch us and that we could touch him, that we could be changed by him, he could change our lives, we could know him. Isn't that what we all long for? That someone of that stature would come and that his glory would there be revealed and that we could encounter him and that our lives would be changed. Isn't that why, I think that's why in our culture, things like Twitter have become so popular. Because not only can we follow and have conversations with our friends, but now, now we can have relationships or pseudo-relationships. We can have encounters, we think, with people, real flesh and blood celebrities, people like Dwight Howard, that we we can tweet him and, and, and maybe he'll tweet us back. We can follow Justin Bieber and everything that Justin Bieber thinks, as soon as he tweets it, we're like, oh my gosh, I know him. And then he'll ask a question like, what should I wear for... Halloween, and we can write him back. I don't, I don't, maybe he did this. I don't know. He probably did because he likes having people write to him. But what should I be for Halloween? And you, you write something like you should be, I don't know, Pastor Albert, and you send it to him. And, and in the hopes that maybe one day he'll write back to us. But we have this longing for an encounter with these so-called supernatural, these celebrity beings. And, and as they write back to us, oh, my gosh, I had this encounter with him. One of my favorite people. In the NBA is, is a guy named Karan Butler. Uh, he plays for the Dallas Mavericks. used to play uh, for the Washington Wizards. There is a story that uh, came out in, in the newspaper. Actually, it was on, on Channel 4 News in, in D.C. And his basketball team did everything that they could. They didn't want to publicize. They didn't want people to know because they didn't want to somehow cheapen uh, the reality of the act. But the, the story goes, there's this 13-year-old in Centerville, Virginia, named Anthony. Anthony's cousin lived in the same neighborhood as Karan Butler. And so one day they're hanging out. He said, let's go to Karan Butler's house. And so they did. They knocked on the door. He came out, and they were like, oh, my gosh. They, they said, uh, "Uh, is Karan Butler there? He's like standing in front of them. So he's like, they talk for about five minutes, and then he has this encounter, and then he goes home. He goes home to his mom. Anthony goes home, and he says, "Wouldn't how cool would it be if Karan Butler would come and play basketball with me? He's like, okay, that would be cool. Kind of tucks it away in her, in her data bank. Three years later, he's turning 16. She has this grand idea to throw him a birthday party and invite Quran Butler. No idea, no, no chance he's going to come. But definitely no chance if she, as a mother goes, a mother of teenage kids goes and says, hey, will you come to my son's party? So she sends her cute little 13-year-old daughter. 13-year-old daughter knocks on the door, gives an invitation to his wife, I think. And she says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Quran. And so she goes skipping home and says, I gave it to him. No response. They wait. Nothing. So he write another letter and says, "Hey, okay, go go take this to him again." Said so we want to do this in May, whatever date, just as long as you, it, it, whenever you can stop by, just for five minutes, off season. Just what, if you can stop by for five minutes, we'll do it on that day to accommodate your schedule. Don't hear from him for anything. They he writes back and says, "Maybe I'll come." They kind of forget about all this stuff and birthday party comes May 29th or whatever it is, and and all of Anthony's friends are there, and it's a surprise party, so they're 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 downstairs in the basement and. Anthony's dad takes Anthony to the driving range they're hitting golf balls and as the kids are hanging out and Anthony's away black Range Rover pulls up into the driveway and Anthony's mom runs to the window she's like oh my gosh this is Karan Butler holy smokes and so she runs to the basement she screams Karan Butler's here and they're thinking this is code word for Anthony. They're like, okay, we'll hide. He's like, no, 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 no. Real, the Karan Butler is here. He, the, the real guy is here. They're like, oh, my gosh. And so these, these, like, 16-year-old kids are scrambling around. And so Karan Butler enters. He's like, hey, what do you want me to do? He's like, just go downstairs and hide. Go hide. They're, just, they're hiding downstairs. They're watching the playoff games. They're playing on the PS3 and, and, and kind of shooting the breeze. About 10 minutes later, Anthony and his dad pull up. And he tells us story. He says, I walked in, and there sitting with all of my friends is my hero. It, he's there in the flesh, Koran Butler. And I am completely he's completely dumbfounded. Like this day made my life and would change my life forever. He gave him an autographed pair of shoes, picked out his cell phone, called his friend Gilbert Arenas. He got to talk to him, wished Anthony a happy birthday, gave him all of this stuff, and then he got in his Range Rover, and he takes off. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Did that really happen? They're all like pinching each other. Did that really happen? Was this a dream? Like before Karan Butler, he was just a dude on posters in my wall. He was a guy we saw on TV. He's a guy we see on baseball cards. But now he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only. And our lives would never, ever be the same again. See, that's what happens. When this amazing something, this amazing comes down and enters into our neighborhood. Jesus didn't come and say, Hey, you know what? Um, I'll come. I'll be born to a virgin. But as soon as I, as soon as I get about 12 years old, see you. I wouldn't want to be ya. I'm going to go hang out in the penthouse. When I 30, was 33 years old, tell me I'll go and I'll die on the cross. But I'm not going to hang out with you. He didn't. He was so much involved in the dust and the dirt of our lives. He became human so that we could have a personal encounter with him so that people could say, I saw him, I touched him, I understand him, and he understands me. He knows what it's like. This Christmas, maybe for some of y'all, you're thinking, hey, we're about to get kicked out of our home. We got kicked out of our home. Does God understand? Does he care if he's that big and great? Does he understand what it's like for me to be out on my own? And then we read that the Son of Man... Had no place to lay his head. That he too knows what it's like to be homeless. And we we read about, oh my gosh, my family. My family's in all this turmoil and all of this stress, and people are making fun of them because of what happened. And and Jesus understands what it's like to have a broken family. He knows what it's like to have a dad who died early. He knows what it's like to have a, a mom who's The the town gossip, everyone talks about her because she had a kid. She had Jesus before she was married. And she heard the whispers, and he heard the whispers. When Jesus came preaching, they said, who is this? Is this really, wasn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the son of Mary? Jesus understood what it meant. He came to identify, to understand you and me. He understands the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He didn't just hang out in the mansion that he built next door, but he lived and breathed and walked on the same dust as the disciples and the martyrs and the traitors and the heretics. He came so that he could understand and identify. He came so that we could encounter him personally. That's the second thing. And then the last thing that we see. The last thing that we see is that God became human because there's some things that God can't do. There are some things that God can't do. It says in verse 14 again, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says he came from the Father. Literally, it means he was sent from the Father. Thirteen times in John's Gospel, there's this word that says that Jesus was sent, that the Father sent me. This is terminology that's used in Acts to talk about the disciples, to talk about the missionaries who were sent forth. Ultimately, what John is saying is that the Father sent Jesus. God became flesh because he was sent on a mission to do something on earth that he could not do while he was in heaven. And we have this understanding that God can do everything. But I don't think that's theologically theologically a very tight argument. There are a lot of things that God can't do. God can't... Uh, well, one of the things that my professors used to say is God can't celebrate his birthday. God can't tie his shoes. There are a lot of things that God can't do. God can't eat a turkey because he's spirit, right? God can't sin. We all know that there are certain things that God can't do. So why is it that God the Father sent Jesus into our world? Well, it says either there's a mission that was encapsulated by these two words, full of grace and truth. The mission of Jesus involved taking grace and truth to the world that we live in. What does that mean? If I can just kind of break it down, and I know uh, some in, in, in older times would, would object to my language, but here's the truth is that we suck. May the grace is that you're in luck. What does it mean that we suck? Here's the problem. We've got problems. We've got problems and we can't fix it. That we are dirty, awful, rotten sinners, even cute little Justin here. Hey, we're all sinners. He's like, I am? Here's the truth. We really are. No matter how cute you are on the outside, your heart is stained with sin and is dirty beyond repair. You don't believe it. Ask your parents. They'll tell you the same thing. And it's all of us. That's the truth. We stink. And it gets even worse. There's nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing that we can do about it. So, Manny loves taking a bath. She's our daughter, for those who are new. She's about two years old. She loves taking baths, and she loves kind of playing in the water, splashing, making herself clean. But she realized she kind of came upon something about two, three months ago where she realized, oh, my gosh, this is really tragic. She was playing in the bath for a long, long time, then she realized that she had wrinkles all over her fingers. And she started flipping out crying. And she said the Korean word for, she basically said, "taka taka," which means clean this, clean this, get rid of this, wipe this. And the sad thing is, well, oh, this is sad. It wasn't really sad. Sad for her. It's really funny for us. But the sad thing is, we looked at him and said, "We can't. We can't do anything about it." And he's like wiping it in the water, and the clean. Here's a here's a tragedy. The cleaner she got, the cleaner she thought she got, the worse her wrinkles became. Isn't this the problem with humanity? The more we try and clean ourselves, the worse we get. Because this is a problem that we cannot resolve. That's the truth. And we're a whole lot of hot water. But then Jesus comes, full of not only truth, but full of grace. The grace says you're in luck because you couldn't do anything about it. That's why God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Because in order for us to be saved, it had to come from one of us. A robot couldn't save us. An animal couldn't save us. Only the death of a human who was perfect, but who was also God, could save us. And that's the grace, is that he saw that we could do nothing about our sinful condition. So when I look at, you know, I think every parent does this. You look at your child, and they're sick when they're a baby. And they're crying, and they're crying, and they're crying. And you don't know what's wrong with them. Their nose is running, they're coughing, they wake up and they're hot, they're feverish, they're they've got chills. You can't communicate with them. They don't want to eat the medicine that you give to them. And the one thing that you want to do more than anything else is if I could just take their sickness upon myself, I could do something with it. If I could just receive, if I could just take all of their sickness and dump it upon myself, then I could do something about it. At least I can handle it. And that's what Jesus does for you and for me. Because if only I could, and so the father sent his son into the world to be the savior of our lives, and to be the savior of the world, that I could do nothing about the fact that I was broken beyond repair. And no matter how much I tried to do good deeds, it kept me further and further and further away from him because he says, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags before me. You only deceive yourself into thinking that you're getting closer to me, but really you're getting further and further away. And so Jesus comes into our world. And I think at the end of Jesus' life, when he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, and he took the weight of sin upon his shoulders, I think it's clear that everybody misunderstood why he was sent. Thirteen times John writes that he was sent, and everyone said, why? They looked at his mission, and they said, what a failure. He died. But when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. They said, what's finished? Your life. He's like, no. My mission is finished. Let me put it another way. Mission accomplished. I did the one thing that I could not do in heaven that could only be done on earth, and that's to die for my people. This is Jesus Christ, the ultimate missionary. That's why he came. That's why he came. We cannot ever separate what happened at Christmas with what happened at Calvary. And as we move through this Advent season, my prayer for us guys is that we would understand the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of Christmas, and that we would dream again and think again and allow our minds and our hearts to expand so that we might be able to worship fully Christ who's come, born to us, that he might save the world from our sins. Hey, uh, some of us are in here and maybe... For you, the truth and the news that you are far more sinful than you could ever imagine may be new to you. I hope for all of us, it's a reminder of the truth of who we are. But into that, my friends, grace is spoken that says you are far more loved than you ever dared to believe and dared to imagine and dared to dream. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Maybe there's some of us in here, and I want to just give an invitation. I'm not going to belabor the point, but maybe some of us in here haven't yet given our lives to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. That you think you're going to be okay and think you're going to heaven because you're a pretty good girl, a pretty good guy. The word of God says, to the contrary. You are stained by sin beyond repair until Christ came and took your sin upon his shoulders. If there's anyone like that, just the the rest of us can pray. The rest of us can pray. But if there's anyone like that with... You know, with our eyes closed, is there anyone like that, that says, you know what, I think I I need to I need to trust Jesus to be my savior. Anyone like that, you can just raise your hand. If there's anyone, you can just raise your hand and we'll pray together after our service is done. But if there's anyone like that, just raise your hand and I want to encourage you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Okay, thanks. I, okay, a couple folks here. I see you. Thank you. Anyone anyway, else you just feel like, you know what? I um I need yeah, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think I I don't think I really know him. Parents have brought me to church and I've done the church thing, but I don't really know. Anyone else like that? Okay, if there is, I'd invite you to talk to either Pastor Albert or myself and those two I I saw your hands all um, yeah, please do speak with us afterwards. For the rest of us, let's pray as we move into this Christmas season. Hey, Lord, slow my heart down. Slow my heart down. Slow the craziness of life down. Maybe you don't want me to go all out and buy gifts for everybody in my life this year. Maybe you just want me to sit with you. Maybe you don't want me to spend all of my days after final exam week playing and hanging out with my friends. Maybe you just want me to and read that story from the gospels again. Why don't we take half a minute just to pray right now and ask the Lord, God help me to not let Christmas zoom by, but help me to really worship. To really worship, to really celebrate, to really know, to really honor Jesus Christ, who had entered into our world to be the savior of our sins. Let's let's pray. For half a minute together like that, I'll close for us, and we'll continue to worship in song and offer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much that you planned and sent forth your son. God, thank you that you came into our world and made that hard, hard move to die at the hands of the ones that you love, to die at the hands of the ones that you created simply so that they, that we might be saved. May we remember that this Christmas. Remind us again that you are our Savior, our God, our friend who's near, the one who sympathizes and understands our deepest needs and is there with us in the good times and bad. We thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.